All right, if you have not heard yet, there's a new bonsai convention going down in the Midwest in 2024. It's going to be May 3rd through the 5th at the Gateway Convention Center in Collinsville, Illinois. It's put on by the Bonsai Society of Greater St. Louis. And I highly recommend you check this one out because they are doing everything right. I think that they are just doing a phenomenal job with the entire expo and convention. So to start off, they got six just incredible headliners. They have Bjorn Bjorholm of ASAN, Tyler Sherrod of Dogwood Studios, Andrew Robson of Rakuyo N, Maria Hadstick, Young Cho, and Maro Stemberger. So super high level guest artists. I'm very, very excited that they were able to line up those people. I don't think they could have done a better job with that. That is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, they're doing $7,500 in cash prizes for the trees, the Kusumono, and the Suiseki Expo. They have $2,500 for the tree that wins best in show. We're currently calling for entries right now. So if you go to Bonsai Central, bonsai-central.com slash entries, you can enter your tree. Deadline is February 1st, 2024. So once again, bonsai-central.com slash entries. You can check that out. Uh, in addition to that, they have 14 plus workshops. They have 12 informal pop-up demos, two formal demos. They have dinner, which is gonna be included with the price of admission on Friday, Saturday. They have nine plus bonsai and kusumono lectures plus Q&A sessions. They have three professional roundtables and they have over 15 awesome vendors all confirmed. I would definitely recommend you check out the site and look at the workshop material. I am pumped. I would literally buy every single Juniper if I could for the workshop price. I think that they are not charging enough there. They have these awesome twisty junipers. I don't know where they got them or how, how they were able to obtain them, but I would buy all of them. Of course, they're saving them for the workshops. Uh, they have really great workshop material. A lot of times workshop material, I'm like, eh, it's all right. But this workshop material is looking very high level. So for more information, I would go to bonsai-central.com. You can learn all about the convention, and I am very proud to say that they are a sponsor for this episode. Thank you so much. Definitely check church. them out. It's almost like once you start doing it, I you almost have to. Like it, it, yeah. it's. He takes his hand and grabs his hat on top of his head while he's looking at it. The Black Panda Podcast. You can ask me anything. I'll, I'll talk about whatever. <laughs> nice. Okay. Yeah, so I guess tools, it's kind of an area that I feel like, like I said in the beginning, you don't have to go all Masakuni, which is like a great yeah, tool yeah. brand made in yeah. Japan. Probably, uh -huh. probably the highest level, I mean, highest grade tools, yeah. generally speaking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Don't, they have some scissors that are like custom scissors that are like <laughs> oh. crazy thousands I mean, of yeah, dollars, I've right? I mean, yeah, I've seen like those like programs and kind of like on those, yeah, custom scissor shops. 
Yeah, there's like a few videos that went kind of viral about that. I mean, definitely, yeah, when when you look at, say, like the level of precision and craftsmanship that go into some of those scissors, I mean, you can kind of reason uh, charging what they charge. But I think the most important thing to remember, the end of the day, it's just a tool and it's how you use the tool, right? That's the most, and that I feel that's just like common sense. Uh, but people can forget that and get excited and like, oh, I'm going to have, you know, all these fancy tools and all the latest techniques and just look really professional. I mean, but honestly, for for most, I'd say like 90% of hobbyists, like you just need three tools. Or <laughs> you just need a, so the only bonsai specific tool that can be useful is a concave cutter. Definitely would recommend one of those. The scissor, you can like definitely just use a cheap pair of scissors. I mean, it's, I mean, you can find stuff that, that works, right? If you're on a budget, it's, you, you can definitely go spend, spend on the cheap on scissors. It, the trees is really not going to know that much. <laughs> and For then sure. pliers, um, just any kind of working pliers, right? It doesn't have to be bonsai pliers. And then wire cutters. Agree. Like so many wire cutters, right? It doesn't have to be a bonsai tool. Uh, and just those four tools for the average hobbyist, it probably is going to cover like 90% of your work. Um, so if you're just starting out, there's really no reason you need to buy some complete toolkit. You fill in the gaps over time based off what you need. He's good. Yeah. So my dog just oh, came in. Yeah, no, completely agree with you. So let's break that down a little bit. Let's talk uh-huh. about all those tools that you just mentioned. Um, yeah. So scissors. Uh-huh. So per- personally, I'm curious what you think. So yeah. if I was starting out, I would actually recommend the ARS grape scissors. I, uh-huh. I think that's what, I don't know oh, what they're yeah, called yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I know, I know they're like those little white uh, scissors. The white handles and uh, yeah, yeah, the or classic the, handles, think, yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. I think those yeah. are actually pretty good. Yeah, I still have like two pairs that I've had for many, many years, and uh, yeah. and I, I think they're like twenty to twenty five dollars or so. They're, yeah, they're like pre- pretty cheap and will last like forever until you break the blades or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have one pair that is just. The regular ones, and then I actually bent another pair back in the day for repotting, <laughs> just to get a better yeah. angle when you're going for the uh, working on that root ball. But I, I like mm-hmm. those; those would be like my budget scissors. And then I'd say second, kind of mid grade. I really like. Actually, I wouldn't con- even consider this mid grade. I'd say this is like mm-hmm. mid to high. Yeah. I really like Canetian. Yeah, it, yeah. I, I think that's my my favorite brand. Yeah. What about you? Well, I mean, yeah, like the the Kaishin, that's like kind of your best bang for your buck in terms of the, say for like a $50, $60 tool. I mean, yes, a little expensive, but at that price point and for the quality you get, you probably cannot get anything better. So like, and, and these tools, basically, as long as you take care of them, they're, they're lifetime tools. So I like the idea of that when you start, um, I mean, some areas in the beginning, yeah, you can just use like whatever cheap tools you have. I mean, you can make it work for sure. And then as you get more into it, 
don't buy like sets, but just get individual tools, which are good quality and you can build your tools over time. I mean, I, I look at I like, like my tool bag now and it's, I mean, and then, and then one day I was just like curious, I was like, how much money did I spend on tools over? And this yeah. is like over 10 years. And it's definitely like over a thousand dollars now. I like added everything up, all the different pliers and cutters and carving tools and and everything. And so it can get quite costly. But that was like a thousand dollars spent over ten years, where I just sure. added tools that were missing over time. Um, so really, the cost is not so like extreme, I would say. And even then, you probably don't even like because I have all these uh, random carving tools and gin tools I like to use and some specific repotting tools. Um, so there's some stuff where I've spent like more money that probably just a typical hobby. So you don't even need to buy those tools. Um, so it can be very reasonable over time, right? Just get that initial core, like those three, four tools, whatever, uh, just starting out. And then as you get more trees that necess- necessitate more work, then just add in tool Great by point. tool. So, yeah. yeah. I guess one thing that I would kind of recommend against would be like mm-hmm. cheaper made often, like maybe they're made in China type tools. Yeah. Uh-huh. I haven't had great experience with those. I think I, mm-hmm. I started out with those and I, I did not like them. I would just go mm-hmm. like ARS or Kanishin. I think that's yeah. a good yeah. use of your money. You don't have to go Masakuni, but I wouldn't go with the like cheap Chinese ones. Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, I guess one thing that I... I think a, a good investment would be uh, would be a some type of whetstone or way to mm-hmm. sharpen your tools, right? Because I, I feel like a yeah. lot of having good tools, what's probably more important for the tree is just mm-hmm. that you maintain a really nice edge. You have really sharp scissors. Yeah, it doesn't so much matter, you know, what brand your scissors are or mm-hmm. anything like that. More so, just that yeah. you take really good care of them, oil mm-hmm. them. Do you like whetstones? Is that your method of sharpening, yeah, so, generally speaking? Yeah, I mean, before I, I, I think I might have mentioned this on the last podcast, but before I was into bonsai, I was like working this part-time job for like this cutlery knife dealer in high school. That exposed me kind of to like these kind of like knife collector hobbyist groups. And then also there's like a, a, a like sharpening community with different, I mean, it, it gets like, it's another whole just kind of hobbyist group where they're just very interested to all the different abrasive mediums, how to like get a perfect edge. So I kind of got sucked into that a little bit before bonsai. So before I was in bonsai, I was like obsessed with having like perfect edges on knives. So I had like a whetstone collection and everything and learned how to freehand <laughs> sharpen very well. <laughs> so, so it was kind of like perfect that after I got on a bonsai, you just maintain all my tools. Um, I would say that as long as you're not abusing your tools because stuff like chips and some kind of like catastrophic failure in the edge. I mean, it's very hard to repair. Um, but if you're using your tools normally, right, not overstraining them, um, then right. They can be lifetime tools. It's, you can just keep on, uh, maintaining the edge. Um, one kind of, uh, recommendation that I see people sharpen like this, which I I don't recommend is a lot of times people get some kind of abrasive, like it could be a diamond file or a little carbide bit, and they just kind of like rub the edge. Um, let me see this. Well, if we use a camera later, I'll kind of 
see if I can show an example. But <laughs> but the no, another thing to consider is uh, edge geometry. So if we have um, let's kind of draw this very like thing you are geeking <laughs> out here. I like this, it. <laughs> yeah, like um, whatever. This is just like some kind of concave edge. And if you okay. always sharpen the tip, so it's gonna like draw this. Let's say we have some kind of sharpening plane and we're constantly abrading and reducing this over time. I mean, over the long term, your tip will get more um, obtuse, right? The angle will widen. If you're just removing like mass on the, the tip over and over. So when you sharpen tools properly, like really you're removing material from the whole cutting phase. So in the case of like concave cutters where we have this kind of um, like smooth exterior on the outside, and this is usually a flat interface. Um, when I'm using the water stones, really I'm abrading the whole surface evenly, right? Um, not just the very tip. And that way I can maintain the exact same uh, cutting angle for every successive like time I sharpen it. That's just like a little <laughs> like kind of subtle thing. But if you're just like aggressively grinding the tips of your tools to... <clears throat> Because in the short term, it, it will work to sharpen it. But if you did that for every single sharpening, eventually you'll lose the cutting performance. And then your your tool is just kind of obsolete. Gotcha. <clears throat> I feel like I'm I'm good at sharpening scissors and <clears throat> grafting <throat> knives, but I'm yeah. not good at concave cut anything concaves, branch cutters or concave yeah. cutters. Yeah. Maybe you can give me a lesson in that someday. Man, yeah. If I, <laughs> man, if I had a, a concave cutter in my room right now, I, I, I can give you like a live ah. shot. <laughs> well, well, yeah, I, don't, I mean, it's in next the, time. the garage. Yeah. It's another or, time. Yeah. So when I see you, when we meet up sometime, <clears throat> we got to go rock uh -huh. climbing together. Yeah. And then you got to give yeah. me like a sharpening lesson. Okay. <laughs> oh, <sure>. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> what about wire cutters? What, what kind do you like? Would you go with? On a budget. Um, so let's see. So, I mean, when I, when I first bought wire cutters, I just got just some generic electrician wire cutters from Home Depot, just like 10 bucks or whatever. And if you're just cutting like aluminum wire and smaller gauge copper wire, I, I mean, realistically, it's going to do the job. And I mean, later, if you are using thicker gauge wires, um, a proper wire cutter does make a huge difference. Um, but if you're not using it, you can get away with a cheap wire cutter. So it really just depends like what yeah. you are using in the start. And then say maybe down the line, you, you are using thicker wire, then you can kind of justify, okay, I'll buy uh, a nicer bonsai wire cutter, or you can get like one of those, um, that was it like the double, the double jointed, um, those like bolt cutters um like they have the Nipex ones not just not just yeah. Nipex um actually it was a uh, uh, Seth, Seth Nelson he's messaged this was like last a two a few months ago but he sent I'm me I'm pretty a sure he messaged to, like, me that too budget yeah oh yeah and and there's it was like yeah, on sale on Amazon maybe <laughs> yeah and so they have the similar designs which just function on the same mechanics and principle and and so it's perfectly reasonable you find a great wire cutter for 30 to 50 bucks, probably get something that works well. Um, so I think that's nice. easy to find. Um, not that hard. Cool. <coughs> Shout out to Seth. And yeah, uh, yeah. I, I like the <laughs> Knipex. Is that how you yeah. say it? Is it Nipex or Knipex? I, I just said I don't know. Nipex. 
Nipex? Yeah, I Nipex? don't know. I, just, okay. I always set the K silently, but <laughs> I honestly have no idea. Okay. Well, I think they're like 40, 40-ish dollars, uh, something yeah, around there. Not, honestly, I, it's not. I, those it's are pretty not nice. Bad. And, and kind yeah. of shout out to them for, and I mean, this is must have been my fault, but I never knew why. Um, but both of my uh, Nipex cutters like seized last year. And there was like yeah. no rust on them or anything. And I was trying to look like, did some kind of wire or dirt get into the access? And I just couldn't figure it out. Um, but it's just anyways, both like if I can't use the wire cutter one handed, it's just like it defeats the purpose. It's just kind of useless for me. So it was a real bummer. It had like the the big and small version. And so I, I contacted uh, the Nipix and. And they said, yeah, just send the tools over or inspect them. And they just sent me like two brand new wire cutters. So, oh, so definitely they, they they owned up to their customer service. And so, nice. um, yeah, the tools work well. And yeah, good seem, seems to be a good company. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I like them. Very cool. I do have, <clears throat> I have a big Ma- Masakuni wire cutter, uh-huh. but it's just not needed. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it looks cool. It's fun. Yeah. Fun yeah. to play with. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Okay. What about uh, pliers? Sa- same thing. Pliers like is Freight. probably where, yeah, you totally don't need bonsai pliers. Pliers is, you can use any. I mean, the tips need to like um, not be so, ideally you get flatter tips. So the contact surface of the plier is not overly skinny uh, because if you get some of the electrician pliers they have a a kind of a tapered um, contact points on the end so it's just the very very tip of the pliers barely touch um, which may be kind of hard you're trying to like grip wire and bark Um, but i think if you just go to any like um, like home depot or or a utility store like you will easily find a plier that does the job that that yeah. definitely does not have to be a bonsai plier. Uh, although it is nice to have some of the bonsai pliers, uh, very well made. Um, but starting out, it's not really necessary. For sure, completely <clears throat> agree. Very nice. Yeah, I would agree with that. And then I'd say mid range. Pretty much my recommendation is just Canetian, which I don't think uh-huh. I say that correctly. How do you say that? Yeah, I think it's a con 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 <laughs> it's like the the ne, not not me. I think, yeah. Nice, nice. All right, I'm still gonna just say it wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, for concave cutters, what would you go with? Um, I mean, that's I kind have, of. Um, I have uh, the the. I think I have just the Connie Shen cutters. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what I use. Nice. But, I mean, it's it's funny. I bought like. The, well, I bought those in 2017, and they're like brand new cutters. And I was volunteering at the Huntington Gardens. I'm in LA, so one of the the GSBF collections. And I remember some older volunteer. He's like, "Oh, I forgot my concave cutters. Can I borrow yours?" And he's like, "Brand new cutters. I didn't even use them yet." And I was like, "Oh yeah, sure." I just gave it him. He like instantly dropped it the moment oh. I put it in his hand. He just dropped it, and it just it cracked off the tip. And so I had to like resharpen it. And I, I still use those same uh, concave cutters, but every time I look at it, I was like, like God damn it. <laughs> yeah, nice. I'm a little, a little cautious letting people borrow my tools now. <laughs> Dang, that's brutal, man. 
<laughs> cool. Yeah, I do feel like co- uh, concave cutters are a bonsai specific tool that you kind yeah. of should have um, uh-huh. just so that you can make a concave branch cut, which <laughs> yeah, just is, nice clean cut. Yeah, it'd be challenging mm-hmm. without it. I mean, you could use a saw and a chisel, but you don't want to yeah. do that. Like, it's like you way just, easier. You want a concave cutter. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, Cool. I was trying to think of other important, I guess for, for repotting, there's some tools that, that are good. Uh, a sickle or a comma. I think yeah. I see those yeah. at like Asian or 99 cent stores very yeah, commonly for very to, inexpensive. Um, like uh, Daiso. Sometimes they sell that. Daiso is just like a um, uh, Japanese convenience kind of 99 cent store style like chain home store. Um, but I mean, at least in California, there's a bunch of, um, I don't know outside of California if there are other Daiso's in the U S um, but they should be like an international chain. Um, but yeah, some kind of convenience store, you can find those, uh, sickles sometimes. Nice. Very cool. Uh, chopsticks. I feel like you can get those for free at restaurants. (laughs) And then if you need to make larger ones, you can make them out of bamboo, which is great. Mm, I've made them out of other types of wood as well, like redwood or cedar or whatever. I think that's, that is okay as well. Just different Mm -hmm. sizes is nice. Um, saws. I, I really love the silky saws, but they're, they're not super expensive, but they're not super cheap. I think they're like 40 ish dollars. Definitely getting like, more expensive off Amazon. Uh, I mean, great saws because the teeth patterns like cuts very efficiently. Um, yeah. Works really well. Um, there, there is definitely a if you're making big cuts on trees, um, the quality of the saws actually do matter. I think that's a case where you will see the difference between a cheaper and nicer saw. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you need a saw, I think if you can get like one of the silky saws might be 40 50 bucks but lasts you a very long time um can be a good investment nice <laughs> agree <clears throat> all right uh so carving chiv- chisels i mean mm-hmm. you can spend tons of money going with <laughs> carving ch- chisels i think that yeah. there are a lot of things that you can buy at say for example like a like a harbor freight you can like and- repurpose so many wood tools and and what I did, because I have a set of, of just like woodworking chisels I use, I just went on eBay and I just typed in antique uh, Japanese chisels or something, um, which is just going to be some kind of basic carbon steel. Um, but at least for the purposes of just working on bonsai is more than good enough. Um, so I just got, I think I set a three chisels for like 30 bucks. I just, and of course they're all like beat up because they're super old. And then I reset all the edges and they're like fantastic uh, tools. So you can find um, carving tools. I think it's not hard. There's so many uh, sources you can find good quality stuff. Uh, one one tool that is very not needed, but like just mm-hmm. the coolest thing ever is yeah. uh, I saw Peter had one It's and uh, you got it for him. Oh, it's yeah. the uh, electronic chisel. The pow- power chisels. Yeah. Power so chisels at, from Japan. Those things are yeah, so cool. Yeah, um, Taikon 10 and, and Kokofu. There's always uh, one of the vendors and they sell like woodworking tools and they always have like some random stumps and they just let people like carve on it. And so, yeah, they're like power chisels. And yeah, I I remembered like 
Peter mentioned once, he's like kind of wanted to get one of those. I feel like I don't have enough of the the kind of tree that I need to use it on. So I didn't I didn't buy one for myself. But I, I was in Japan for last Taikon 10 in November. And then, and then, of course, with the exchange rates, right, which was it's still very good right now. It's like about one US dollar to 150 yen. I mean, it's kind of like you're getting a major discount. Totally, so it I, is. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, I asked Peter, I was like, well, I think it was like 3,800 yen. That was like the list price. Um, but like with the exchange rates is like 200 some dollar, under 250 bucks. Um, and yeah, that thing's like a beast just like cuts through. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's fun to use. Yeah. So if fun to like use. you're like healing yeah. big wounds on deciduous, which of course, uh, Peter has a lot of big deciduous trees. Yeah, um, very functional tool. Yeah, it saves you all the yeah. elbow grease and messing up your hands, just like muscling all the all the wood out. Yeah, for sure, for sure. <clears throat> Those things are super rad. Love it. <laughs> yeah, cool. And then I, I was thinking, uh, what about for grafting knives? What do you think mm. there? Um, hmm. I mean, so there's, I mean, there's a lot of different brands of grafting knives and the pricing can vary quite a lot um, just based off like the steel they use and the quality. Um, I mean, I've had like a Connie Shin grafting knives. I also have a very nice grafting knife that I bought um, from uh, Fred Miyahara. Um, and cause I, I host my San Diego study groups at his place and he's been like very uh, gracious and nice to work with. <clears throat> but I, I remember I was looking for more left-handed grafting knives and he was like, oh, I have a left-handed grafting knife from uh, Masishi. <laughs> wow. And, um, so I guess because Masishi is a very prolific grafter back in his day. And when he was still active, he would commission like a, like a knife or sword maker in Japan just to like make a bunch of grafts. So he used to sell them. So sometimes you might see them scattered around. Some hobbyists may have them. <clears throat> They're like a wooden wooden handled. There's like a black uh, resin kind of a collar and the blade is slightly curved. Uh, so it's different than the standard grafting knife shape. Um, but <laughs> that was kind of I when I bought that from him, I was like, oh, man, should I even like use this? It's kind of like bonsai history. And yeah, and yeah, I, I still <laughs> still used it anyways. I was like, oh, this is like ah. a perfectly good grafting knife. And it's like my standard grafting knife now. And so I have no issues using it. <laughs> Um, but that's kind of, yeah, definitely expensive. Um, uh, when you get a grafting knife, there's always uh, two things I I check. And regardless of the steel quality, um, one thing that I've noticed, even in the mid-production, say like the Kanishin grafting knives, um, the, the blade edge for a grafting knife is so skinny, right? Especially on the tip. Um, so in their like production process, and these are all kind of like semi-custom made, <laughs> But if during like their kind of heat treatment and quenching process, um, and, and normally they, I guess I would assume they would check for this and crack for it. Um, but there is like potential for these very thin edges to be uh, warped. Like the, the cutting plane is not, not talking about like the edge being curved. Like you can have a curved edge, but it's like you rotate it, right? And it's like a flat plane. Um, but like the actual cutting edge is like, not straight right it's it's curved that's like a big no-no for grafting knives because my uh first condition grafting knife i bought it's like it was warped so huh. you can basically in the production process right some 
I mean, it, it can very easily happen to these very thin huh. uh, blades. But I would recommend that if you buy it in person, just like check <laughs> to see if the edge nice. is straight. That's like a little just yeah. pet peeve, but um, your cuts will be cleaner. Um, Good tip. But yeah, Connie Shin sells them. The other kind of mid-price range tool brand, uh, Kikua, sells them. Um, there's like a bunch of cheaper ones too. But honestly, as long as the edge is clean and you did a good job sharpening it, I mean, the the technique is going to be more important than the knife, right? As, as long as you have a nice, clean, crisp edge, which you can still achieve on a cheap knife, um, you, you can graft trees with cheaper grafting knives. It's totally fine. Cool. <clears throat> I don't know if you think this is going to be like sacrilege or anything like that, but uh, <laughs> lately glad, yeah. <laughs> for crafting, <laughs> I've been using a, a specific <clears throat> box cutter mm-hmm. instead of a grafting knife. You're like, yeah. I'm I'm done with this podcast. Um, <laughs> but it's <laughs> yeah. uh, it's it's the OLFA 25 mm-hmm. millimeter Ulfa. Uh-huh. It, I think it's I'll a Japanese. I'll have to look it up. Yeah. I'm, is it like the thin utility knives, like the blade edge? It's pretty thick. I mean, it's yeah. a, it's a pretty thick knife, but it's uh-huh. it's razor sharp and yeah. more so use it out of not having to sharpen my grafting yeah. knife all so the just, time. You Sometimes you can put a new one on all the time. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, that's, yeah, that's, a, that's also a great point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're only mm. twelve fifty uh, mm-hmm. to buy on Amazon, so mm. I, I like yeah. them. And you can just keep replacing the blade really quickly. Um, yeah. I, I think they work pretty well to me. Uh, a, a really well-sharpened grafting knife is a better option. However, it's yeah. just about always having to sharpen again mm-hmm. and again. So, yeah. 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 Cool, man. Well, I think for me, that pretty well hit, hits it with tools. I mean, there's a bunch uh-huh. of... You could go on for days and days and days about tools <laughs> Yeah. There's so many different tools, I mean, that you could buy, whether it's a branch bender or, uh, I don't know, a thousand other options. But yeah. I think yeah. we kind of hit like the main main tools that uh, I, I think that a beginner would need. So, mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, why don't we cover soil and fertilizer and then maybe uh-huh. just like a little bit about pots. And then I think that's about all I have time for, if that's cool with uh, you. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, soil and, and fertilizer. I mean, this can be a little subjective. And and I, I don't agree that there's only one soil mix that is like good for everything. Uh, really, the best approach to do that is you match your soil mix to your watering habits, right? Or conversely, you can adjust your watering practices to accommodate the soil mix. Um, so, I mean, there there is still some advantages. Say we use like, quote unquote, more volcanic and porous bonsai mixes, which you just have much greater air retention in the pot and very high surface area. So your trees have good balance of uh, water um, and oxygen so they can... Uh, Uh, respire Um, so good when you're in those later stages and you're trying to grow your tree in a small of a pot as possible the soil kind of matters a lot Uh, but if you're on those initial growing stages or the pot is much deeper so your water table is basically much lower um, 
like, is your tree going to be okay growing in some organic cactus mix blend? You know, it probably will be. Um, but as you, <clears throat> as you downsize and you transition to bonsai containers to develop the tree, um, I would say it's important to invest in proper soil. Um, so, I mean, starting out, if like, I mean, Akadama prices are only getting more and more expensive, so <clears throat> could be pretty cost prohibitive for like somebody starting out. Um, but kind of generic mixes you can use. I mean, you can get perlite very cheap. Um, in California, pumice is very cheap. Um, if you do use organics like bark and whatever, um, you either can get like, uh, composted bark or it's kind of like fresh raw bark that's just been chopped up so if you buy like orchid bark right um it's these little pellets of it's basically raw bark uh, and the reason why a lot of times you use these organic components people are like oh no you can't use it for bonsai this is sacrilegious is that eventually with enough time these raw organic components they will uh break down and and degrade um and and so there's some compaction of your soil. Um, and then as the, the organics decompose, right, they'll consume nitrogen and some other nutrients in that decomposition process. Um, but if your scope, you say your window of repotting is in like two years or less, right? You're repotting every year or within every few years. I mean, to be honest, those organic mixes with some organic additive, probably gonna be totally fine. Um, but in the longer scope, yeah, definitely is some, some trade-offs. So I think for soil, it's not that you have to use only these, <clears throat> sorry, only these ingredients. And that's like, like Akadama pumice lava. I mean, really, there is a lot of options. You just need to understand the trade-offs for each one. And then if that's like relevant to what you're growing, if it's going to have any negative implications, um, so yeah, say if you weren't using Akadama, yeah, you can use, right. Pumice lava, I think is, you can find very cheap. Perlite's very good. Bark is kind of okay. I think on the short term, it, it definitely can be used. Um, long-term, maybe some potential issues. Um, but best is just to, and if you're really not sure, just try mixes out for yourself and, and you can just kind of see for yourself for your own goals in bonsai is the quality of growth uh, appropriate for what I want on the tree, the kind of development I'm doing. Yeah. So hard, hard to give like a, a single answer for everything for this. Yeah. So, well, I don't know. How do I mm -hmm. ask this? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I guess personally it's, it is, such a trip that we import dirt from Japan and it costs, you know, 40 to $50 a bag. Right. Yeah. For, um, yeah. It's getting even, even more now. Like the retail cost is per bag. Yeah. It's get, getting up it is, there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's very expensive. However, yeah. I do think that if you want to grow trees in a small container, it's yeah. the best option. I mean, it, I don't know. I, I would ra kind of rather someone use a little, like a, like a smaller ratio of Akadama if you're yeah. going to go with a, a smaller pot and uh -huh. use maybe more pumice and lava <laughs> mm -hmm. than 
no Akadama at all. I feel mm-hmm. like it's it yeah. just has very many benefits. Uh, the fact mm-hmm. that it's self-scaling, that it breaks down slowly over time, that yeah, in yeah. the core of a root ball, it still works and it still yeah. works well. Yeah. Whereas like bark, I, I think is a is a bad it's just option. Like a, a time long-term. limit. Yeah, long term is hard to use. Yes. And I think, uh, so I would prefer that people do use Akadama and maybe if you're Mm -hmm. really on a budget, you would use less of it and use more pumice. Uh, personally, I absolutely love pumice. I I would buy it by the yard, you know, a yard of pumice in California from a landscaping place is like maybe $60 to 110 or so. And that, I mean, it's insane how long yeah. that should last you if yeah, you're using yeah. it it's in like bonsai pots. Soil than you're gonna need. Yeah, I mean, for yeah, sure. Def- definitely agree. Um, yeah, the smaller you the container size gets, the more important the soil is because you're looking for the greatest efficiency of the root system to keep the tree healthy, of course. But you have that aesthetic freedom to use a small pot if you if you so choose it. But say like. If you're not able to use the ideal soil mix or you don't have Akadama and maybe you're using a drier mix, then maybe you just might get into a limiting factor that maybe you shouldn't put your tree in this like super tiny pot because the moisture environment's not going to be stable or it's going to dry out too fast. So really you're trying to match like the soil recipe, how much water it holds, the size of the pot how refined the tree is. And when you're at that stage where those things matter, um, yeah, Akadama has a huge advantage. Um, so I, I, I agree there. Um, but if you're just growing stuff, not as crucial, yeah. or if the not container me. size is like very big, not as important, uh, kind of like a funny, well, it was like a story from another professional, but I was taught, I think I mentioned the, the Penjing curator at the Huntington Gardens. Um, but people in SoCal just call him a, a Mr. Che, and and he, I mean, he mainly grows Chinese el- Chinese elms, olives, pomegranates, right? Very hardy species. Um, but he has like some pines and junipers, and I think like a lot of his trees are just in like Costco organic mix. <laughs> yeah, and he has some like spectacular trees, and so that's just like uh, proof of the point that. If you compensate your water accordingly and you're matching it with the right species and the pot size, there, there is more than one variable to adjust than just the soil composition. So I would say try things out and just think about the trade-offs of what you're doing um, and let that like inform your soil mix. Um, but definitely Akadama has its advantages. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. <laughs> I like Costco for a lot of things, but I don't know yeah, about for yeah. their soil mix. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> gotcha. No, that, yeah. that's cool. And and good points there for sure. Yeah. I still, for me, if I have a high quality tree, I, I wouldn't trust it in a non-Akadama mix personally. Uh, yeah. And then in yeah. terms of growing things out from cutting mm-hmm. seed air layer, uh, I actually, I, I was using like probably uh, like 15% Akadama, the rest just Mm -hmm. sifted pumice. That was kind of my mix for growing things out. Recently, Uh I switched over to uh, a large size perlite and then cocoa core. 
And that was yeah, on the yeah. recommendation of Eric Schrader. And it's uh-huh. been pretty good so far. Uh, I've, I've been very happy with it. Things seem to grow really well, although it's only yeah. been one year. So uh-huh. I haven't had all that much data to, to look at yet, but yeah, it's been a good yeah. mix. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. What do you use to, to grow things out? I mean, now it's, I mean, what I'm doing is, is pretty similar to, um, uh, Peter where just for simplicity purposes, everything is pumice and Akadama, um, because then I can just adjust the ratios to make something, uh, wet or less wet. And it's just purely, it's very like efficient. So, so the main motivation was like, well, it works and I don't have to spend more time mixing different soil ingredients. So not to argue one way is better or another, um, but it is sufficient for the trees and it's very easy to do just two components. Um, so I've just been nice. running with that. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. <clears throat> two very good soil components, Akadama yeah. and yeah. pumice. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Sifted pumice. Cool. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, what do you think about fertilizer? What, uh, <laughs> what's your thoughts there? <laughs> so, for me, most of the commercial organic fertilizers, if you look at the ingredients in the bag, they're using all of the same kind of animal and plant byproducts. It's it's like across the board. They're very similar. So I, I really don't pay too much attention to what they put in the fertilizer when you're just buying generic organic fertilizers. I just look at the NPK and... And so I just have some kind of generic low nitrogen fertilizer or something with a bit more nitrogen. And for me, they're all kind of the same. <laughs> like on the lower end, um, you go to Home Depot, whatever, they have like the EB Stone brands. Um, one brand that's like um, a little bit more expensive, but that you can buy in larger sizes, uh, Fox Farm. They also sell all these different fertilizers, but ingredients more or less the same as the one I mentioned. Um, there's like another brand that Home Depot sells, but I can't remember it right now. Um, but they sell like uh, rhododendron fertilizers and basically all these different variations. And when they and a lot of times these fertilizers say, oh, this is for citrus, this is for palm trees. And the only difference is just the NPK ratios. The totally. ingredients yeah. is all the same. So don't get like too hung up on that. Just look at the NPK, see if it has the micronutrients and whatever. And I mean, I just use like, well, I'm, right now I'm using like, um, uh, it's not even EB Stone. I just got some like generic whatever for my local nursery. It's just some organic mix some kind of low NPK ratio. So I just wanted something mild that all my trees got. I threw it in tea bags and the trees are, are totally healthy. Um, so fertilizer. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think you don't have to spend a lot of money on fertilizer. So I just use some generic organics. I also use some Osmocote, um, which is a little more expensive, um, but that works pretty well. Um, but I will use liquids where Basically, in my uh, my bucket that I'm siphoning my water through, um, I'll throw in like fish emulsion, seaweed emulsion, sometimes some chemical fertilizer. Um, that's just to supplement. Um, <clears throat> but is it is it necessary to buy, say, like uh, BioGold or all these kind of top end fertilizers? Uh, I mean, I think there is some advantage, but is that going to make or break the health of your bonsai? 
if the fertilizer is the deciding factor, you're, you're probably already doing something else wrong, right? Um, just ensuring <laughs> your tree, yeah. of course, gets its baseline nutrition. Um, definitely more than one way to do it. Uh, so I think you don't have to use like, say, order fertilizer from Japan and get whatever those little cakes and tins. And I mean, it can, can get pretty expensive. Uh, say if you go the tea bag route, though, that's just like labor intensive. You have to put things in tea bags. And then sometimes people have animals, they like take them away and eat them. Uh, that's a pretty common issue. And then so then there might be some merit to getting some of these cakes, some of which which advertise as scentless or no animal products. Um, so in, in which case, yeah, it makes sense buying a kind of more high-end fertilizer on that side. But yeah, my, my fertilizing regime is, is pretty simple. I just have uh, two layers. One is I use these just low NPK organic tea bags and all of the trees get it. It's just to ensure my trees all get the same kind of baseline nutrition. And then the trees, I'm just trying to grow more aggressively. I just throw Osmocote on top of it. Um, so it just gets a bit more the nitrogen and accessible, soluble nutrients. Um, and then the liquid fertilizer, all the trees get, it's just supplement on top of that. But for me, that has worked pretty well, a pretty controlled system. Nice. I like it. I like it. I think that's all great points. I really like the point about if your trees aren't doing, aren't looking so good, it's definitely not the fertilizers issue. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it can, of course yeah. it will influence and help, but it's, it's, it's usually more than just the fertilizer. For sure. Assuming for you're sure. already fertilizing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now I will say, so, and I guess, so I I do use BioGold. Uh, yeah, however, yeah. I only do it mostly because it's it's convenient. You know, it's already mm -hmm. made. Yeah, I don't have yeah. to put it in a tea bag. I know it mm -hmm. works. I've been using it for a while. Before that, when I was more on a budget, I would make my own cakes. I mm -hmm. think that you know I, I would mix up various meals <laughs> and different yeah, organic yeah. fertilizers, yeah. and I, I'd usually grab a couple different ones. Uh -huh. maybe whatever's on sale and I would mix it with fish emulsion and I would create yeah. these cakes. I would yeah. put an indent at the top of the cake so that water uh -huh. would sit on there and it would <laughs> yeah. uh, keep it's it moist good. for longer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But now I just go bio gold and I use liquid chemical fertilizers or, and yeah. uh, fish emulsion. And that's kind of what I use. I use a little bit of Osmocote, mm -hmm. teeny little bit on my trees that are in bonsai pots more, yeah. a lot more on things that I'm growing out. But yeah, yeah. yeah like you, I, I feel <clears throat> like, uh, maybe fertilizers, it's not extremely important, like which brand it is or, or that you have to spend a lot of money. Now I will say, mm -hmm. I do think that, uh, one thing that Ryan Neal is doing, which is, is very interesting to me is he's like taking samples of leaf tissue and then sending them off to a lab to be diagnosed yeah. and then they actually analyze you know where the plant is lacking and then he adjusts accordingly from there yeah. i think that is really probably like a great way to go and i probably would like <laughs> to experiment with yeah. that I'm, i mean i i think that's like legit and they, they probably already do testing of that similar nature or larger scale on just any kind of agricultural, just agriculture, right? Just to see kind of sure. deficiencies or what's wrong with the plant. I think it's super cool, but for the average enthusiast, are you going to, are you going to send leaf samples and get them lab tested, then order like specific 
right? Nutrients and soil, soil additives to compensate, I mean, can be very time intensive and costly. Um, for sure. So for me, I try to just keep it simple is the tree getting the basics, right? Your water, fertilizer, sun. If you can maintain a good state of vigor and just ensure the baseline nutri- nutrients are provided, I mean, the tree is not so fragile. You can grow it robustly and it'll be very healthy. But Totally. <laughs> I like that you say robust a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I noticed that on the, oh, last, yeah, on yeah. the last podcast. Yeah. It's like yeah. a Julian original. <laughs> yeah. Robust. Uh, yeah. I mean, I feel for me, yeah, if you can just grow your tree healthy, it's just so much more res- resistant and hardy to like, whatever pest diseases and whatnot. So I think having an approach where you're not trying to correct everything after the fact that an issue happened, just have some kind of methodology that gives you a right, a quote unquote robust tree that just has more resistance and tolerance. Um, So having more kind of like the preventive measure than basically treating the symptoms like, oh, my tree's sick, I need to do this and that. Um, if you can minimize that, right, it'll save you time and your tree will just overall be stronger. Solid, mm. solid. Cool, man. Well, you know, uh, I probably got mm. another like seven minutes and then I got to <laughs> put my, oh. put my kids to sleep, but I, I was curious uh-huh. any, uh, so there's so many different topics we could have hit yeah, on, this you is know, like I was thinking a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for going through this whole method uh-huh. with me. I guess um, the last one that I had on my list was yeah. bonsai containers. Any uh-huh. like last tips or or suggestions for bonsai containers on a budget? Yeah. What are your thoughts so, with that? I mean, in the early stages, right? You're just developing your tree. Like you, you don't need a nice bonsai pot to put your tree in that you're just growing and developing. Once you start getting to your later stages of work, I mean, definitely it's nice to have and you're going to show your tree. Um, but in the start, just, yeah, you don't you don't even need to sweat that. I will say that in terms of the best value for your money, it's kind of like you can't beat like the mid-production grade uh, Japanese and Chinese pots. Um, the way I look at uh, ceramics um, from like Japan, which is also then inspired off a lot of Chinese ceramics, I mean, they're, all the shapes are some kind of like geometric variation. I mean, there's a lot of lines, right? And they are in some kind of balance or symmetry with each other. And it's very easy to take that for granted where you see some kind of clean, simple shape and you're like, oh yeah, it's just a simple pot shape. It's easy to make. And then, um, but for any of these very, I would say geometric shapes, and there's a lot of lines on the pot regardless of the rectangle or whatever if there's one line that's off just a little bit because everything is in balance with each other the impact of the pot is like night night and day in terms of like how clean and nice it looks and just so for like japan and china because of course they made ceramics for such a long time the level of craft and attention to details there that on those like you know, mid production level pots that, yeah, maybe it's like a hundred or $300. I mean, the lines is just so pristine and it gives your pot a lot of uh, presence and impact. Uh, I think ceramics in the U S is not at that quality standard yet. Um, and even uh, like, and, and so 
you see very often that in, instead of emulating those shapes, we try to make very organic freeform shapes that's visually very contrasting or interesting or the form is more soft and you can in a sense get away with that lack of precision um, but i would say if you want a pot that's outstanding quality and the best value for your money yeah really hard to i i think you can't beat the quality cost ratio of like the japanese and chinese pots even you commission like um custom pots from like u.s ceramicists I mean, some of which are doing some pretty good work, but I think for the same quality pot, it's going to be much more expensive and it probably won't be as good quality as well. Um, so something, yeah, I think a way when we look at ceramics and you, as long as you take care of the pot, it doesn't chip and crack. I mean, they can always accrue age and appreciate in value, especially all those old pots. They never depreciate, right? There's just a finite number of pots. Many of those kilns are defunct. Um, so actually pots is an area that I recommend once you're getting to those later stages of the tree, um, invest in nicer pots um, because they will not depreciate and the appropriately matched pot with the tree gives the tree so much more presence and makes it stand out a lot more. Very well said, very well said, man. And I guess all great points. Only tip I would say is if you're newer in bonsai, mm -hmm. you don't have to just start collecting lots and lots of pots. <laughs> yeah. I see a lot of people yeah. fall into that. And while that's uh -huh. great and that's fun, maybe yeah. that's a good thing if you have more of a budget. Uh -huh. But I like, I agree with you, mid, mid grade Japanese and Chinese, very nice. Few yeah. American potters that I really like, but, um, mm -hmm. and I think that they are, they're improving and getting better. Oh yeah. A yeah. few of them, yeah. but all great points, man. Mm -hmm. Hey, uh, thank you so much for your time, Julian. I uh -huh. really, really appreciate it. Always super fun talking to you. And uh, we, I hope we can meet up in person sometime soon. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. do some I mean, climbing, I'd love do to some see, bonsai. Like, your, your place and, and your trees. <laughs> yeah. Come by sometime. <laughs> I'm actually building a uh, koi pond in August oh, nice. in my bonsai yeah. garden. Yeah. Which I'm super cool. pumped about. So yeah. maybe maybe after that gets in. Get some yeah. fish in the pond. Yeah. Uh, you should come by sometime. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. Cool, man. Well, uh, hey, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And uh, yeah. I will talk to you soon. Take care. Okay, cool.